Good morning, everyone. We are here for another episode of The Overcomers. We are coming live, and our guest, Amy, is joining us. She's already here. I wanted to do a quick introduction for Amy. Uh, she's an amazing lady that has gone through a lot of adversity from uh, losing her brother at a very early age and going through uh, just so many challenges and trials from life. It's best if you hear it straight from her, though. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Amy Hesper. Hello, Amy. Hey, Hey, how are you? I'm doing really well. To get to the point, I didn't do a very good job introducing you. So if you could be so kind, please share with us a little bit about yourself, starting with what... Uh, is your place of birth? Where did you grow up? Uh, Share with us a little bit about your parents. And we also have a tradition to share about the grandparents. So if you could be so kind, start start with your mom and dad, uh, the place of birth, and uh, what about their mom and dad as well? So we can follow your heritage. Okay. So I am Amy Hesper, born and raised in Mississippi. My family, of course, born and raised in Mississippi, between Mississippi and uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And um, so uh, my heritage, of course, we have a little bit of Italian and German and Cherokee Indian uh, in our lineage, uh, which I think is... um, really amazing. And we traced after uh, my grandmother passed away, we actually found uh, a little bit of genealogy. And so we actually have ancestors that go back, of course, to the 1800s from France, uh, which we thought was really amazing. And we had never uh, knew that until you know, we found that and my grandmother, she had it tucked away in her hope chest. But my grandmother, of course, was a very big part of my life early on. And uh, she was a, a second mother to me. And mm-hmm. um, so my parents, of course, Mississippi, lived in Louisiana a little bit, lived out in Uh, El Paso uh, for a while. And so I think a lot of that has just lent to shape me to who I am today. And of course, like I said, born and raised in Mississippi, Uh, I do work full time and then I chase my dreams on the side, uh, being a devotional writer for Christian devotionals. And then Mm. I am also a uh, inspirational fluid artist as well. I really want to hear your story. I We've met in Texas a few years back and I can tell you have such a tender soul and you're a very, very strong person and a strong uh, believer. And I know that today we're going to be able to heal our own uh, traumas through listening to your story and hearing your path with um you know, uh, overcoming all of these challenges and adversities. So in in general, just so we can open up, what are, before we start chronologically, what are the top three adversities that you faced in your life so far? Um, the top three adversities, I uh, would have to say, of course, bullying in school, 
mental and physical abuse at home, and then loss uh, would be the three top adversities that I've experienced in my lifetime. Let's start with home. Tell me a little bit about what was the first conscious moment when you realized you are Amy, you are alive? What, what is the first core memory you remember of, of being alive? Oh my gosh. Um, that's a deep question. I've never been asked that before. I know most of the questions I'm going to ask you today, you've never been asked before. <laughs> and that's what makes you so amazing, Belko. Um, let's see. I would have to say some of my first core memories was when my mom and uh, dad were, of course, still still married before they divorced. And I remember growing up uh, surrounded my grandmother and a grandfather and living on the, the property and being able to experience a little bit of the the farm life back then. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I was born late 70s. So uh, things were a lot different back then. Uh, the way people lived were a lot different. And, you know, I just remember being around the animals. My grandfather had cows. Uh, there were ducks. And um, I remember there's a, a picture that just kind of comes to my mind. And it was me as a small girl holding a duck. And I can remember my dad telling me the story that he watched me chase this little duck around the yard until I caught it. And I was sitting in my rocking chair and I was just kind of holding the duck and just rocking me and, and the duck together. And um, so I think that's probably where a little bit of my uh, compassion for animals come from. Uh, just being surrounded by that at an early age. Would you say that's age three or four? Um, I would say that was probably um, three to four years old. Yeah. Three to four. And uh, your parents separated uh, at what age were you when they split up? They split when I was in first grade. Seven. So mm -hmm. uh, they probably had some issues before they split up, which led to the separation. Yes, um, they did. Um, so, you know, I can recall, you know, the arguments, you know, overhearing them argue um, within first grade. And, um, you know, it's just kind of pieces and parts. I think uh, as a young child, we tend to block out things in our mind. We may remember bits and pieces, but um for the most part, the, the hurts and the traumas we do tend to, to block out. Uh, but I do remember, um, you know, a lot of fighting and um, just things not being good between both of them. Were they um, struggling with any abuse of, of alcohol or substance? Or do you think that those uh, disagreements came from, from previous generation, from, from grandparents maybe? I would have to say it's probably, you know, they had the tools at that time that they had because it was passed down from generation to, to generation. 
And um, of course, mental health back then was not really a, a topic of discussion like it is today. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned throughout the years uh, and even most recently is our parents know what our parents know. And it's from how they were treated, how they were brought up, what their parents knew from what their parents knew. And so I think it was just, you know, two people that originally started out and loved each other and, uh, you know, various pieces of life and emotion got in the way of them. And I think they just kind of grew apart they were very deep seated in church early on and then they kind of grew out of that and i think part of part of the separation uh, potentially came from you know from that experience but i think a, a lot of it was just two people who had had grew apart from life circumstances yeah and when they separated who did you end up staying with mom or dad or both? So my mom is who I lived with after that. Um, and um, so lived with her for a while. And then she ended up meeting uh, someone else and remarried. And uh, so my stepdad was uh, a very stern man. And I would say from the time they married until the time I moved out, our relationship uh, was not that great just because of how stern he was. And of course, alcohol played a big, mm. a big part for him and then my mom as well. And so it was growing up and, you know, him getting upset or mad if, you know, I did something or him saying, oh, well, you know, you didn't think, why did you do this? And then, of course, the physical aspect, uh, you know, if you upset him and and then, you know, you're you're getting a, a, a whipping, you know, is, you know, or, or, or beating um, at some times. But so really kind of picked up the trait to shrink back and not, you know, put myself out there that much just to avoid you know triggering something within him to upset him or, or get him angry or, or mad or anything like that usually when parents separate uh they obviously don't like the first choice of their partner and a lot of parents uh, try to get into a relationship fast and and they would you know try to fill a hole that's missing and then they would put the other new parent in a position where they have to now uh, be a replacement and they have to now take fill that hole and uh, a lot of the new parents try too hard sometimes and you know don't have the best approach or not as patient and it's so hard especially if you don't have the tools or the education to uh, communicate and be emotionally available to a, to a young young girl seven-year-old girl and you know a lot of people fight their kids they beat them uh, uh, you know the bible is teaching uh, don't spare the rod and and they they go by that uh, my wife and i have different opinion on that we we are believers but we don't believe in in physical abuse we we want to um, be parents 
similar to the way God is parenting by giving us the education and allowing us to make the choice, obviously age appropriate, but we don't think physical abuse uh, would streamline any results. I think that it's a, it's a shortcut for the parent for the lack of other tools to, to get the child to obey, but it's not a natural and true understanding. So the child doesn't know why they're obedient. It's mostly fear. And we don't want our children to, to be afraid of us. Uh, so that's why we we don't fully agree with those uh, verses and those parts of the of the Bible that says, you know, don't spare the rod, you know, you know, and all those all those things. So what's your opinion? Because you say that you're doing a lot of devotional and was it just physical abuse or also sexual abuse? Or what what did the abuse look like? And and what's your opinion as a Christian on you know, using the rod for discipline, punishment, physical punishment for discipline. Yeah. So, of course, there are times, I believe, when the parent does need to be be the parent and and discipline a child if, you know, the, the child is just being disrespectful or, you know, not listening and just can, doing things that, they know they shouldn't after the parent told them no or, or don't do that or, or gave them instruction that and I think part of that is just from from growing up but also from the standpoint of parents do need to be parents and have that level of authority over their children instead of putting themselves on the same level of just being their child's best friend, because I believe that it does set that child up for one later in life, respecting authority. And I think today we don't see that quite as much as we used to. So it, it wasn't any sexual abuse. Uh, the mental piece of it was more um, from the tools that my stepdad had, knowing how now understanding how he was raised and things being different back then for him to say, you know, what were you thinking when you did this instead of saying, hey, that wasn't, you know, you could have done that a little bit differently here. Let's work to for me to help you understand what I'm talking about instead of just like talking down it being more negative um, and just making you feel like you're stupid because that's a lot of what it was for me. It's like, oh, well, I can never do anything right because when I do it, it's it's not right. It's never good enough for him. You know, he he doesn't see where at least I put forth the effort to do mm -hmm. it. Um, and again, coming up alongside of me and saying, Hey, you know, thank you for, for doing what I asked you to do. You know, however, here's a way that we could have done it a little bit differently, you know, and again, that just goes to a parent not really having that, that tool in their toolkit because he wasn't, aware you know that's just how he was raised that's you know likely how he was talked to and so of course that's how he talked to me because he didn't know any different but as a young child when you continually hear you don't think you know you didn't do that right you know it 
it's not done right or, or you're not doing it how I want to do, it does leave you thinking you can never do anything right. You're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. You'll never make it in life because you're not doing everything that they want you to do. Well, I understand that obviously the mental abuse has caused you more damage based on based on your answer. And you said that, you know, it's it's not good to be in the extreme of being a friend with your with your child, which I agree with you. It's a, it's a terrible terrible strategy and it's good to have authority over the child, but where are you at specifically on on physical approach? Like do you support parents physically hurting their children to demonstrate authority or where are you at on that? What is the sweet spot you think? Do you think that kids should be spanked or not? So with that, I think, you know, if a child, if your child does not do what you tell them to, or they just keep on and, and keep on and you know that they are just pushing your buttons, you know, a, a pop on the hand, a pop on the butt, um, you know, like with your hand or, you know, of course, growing up, my grandmother, she would tell you to go get a switch off of a tree. Uh, you know, some of my family, they had like an actual wood pat. Yeah, like a wood paddle. Yeah. And I used to always choose the smallest limb off of a branch thinking that it would hurt less, but it actually hurt, hurt more. But I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just like a, a one or two, you know, pop just to say, hey, you know, you're not doing what I tell you to instead of like a physical, like just whip you for minutes upon minutes upon minutes and so you when think I, in moderation is okay yes so when does moderation become excessive when when what makes the line what makes it crossing the line because if you agree with with physical punishment then we can't really call it abuse if you think that it's fair then it's it's not really abusive when does it become an abuse when is the line being crossed i think the line becomes crossed when it's just an immediate like you like for instance if you didn't do something fast enough if they said hey i need you to do this and then you know you don't do it right then and there and then they just you know jerk you up and start like just whipping you uncontrollably or like I said, if it goes on longer than like, uh, you know, a quick just pat on the butt or, you know, a slap on the hand, you know, one or two times just to establish that authority. No, that's not abuse. But if it's like, you know, they're holding you by one arm and they are just, you know, waylaying into you, you know, and it goes on for, you know, longer than one or two hits, then yes, I think that is excessive. Okay. Because it's hard for people to to manage that line, you know, to, to understand, all right, I'm not being abusive now. Like, for example, uh, I have a 12-year-old daughter and I've, 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 I've never spanked her. Like, I don't think uh, I'm able to, you know, even when she deserved it. And... I was 
my father never hit me, but he definitely uh, criticized me for a large portion of my life. So I've, I've experienced that mental criticism where you could never do any good when you kind of lose hope in yourself and you, you build a self-image that's not very powerful, um, uh, low self-esteem because of the beliefs that, that you adopt from, from your heroes, from the people that you're mimicking. And, but I do remember my mom hitting me once, and that's a, such a clear memory, like it was yesterday. And I was like four or five years old. So I know that those are core memories for children. And I know that you still remember some of the, some of the beatdowns. And I can tell you that even if it doesn't happen often to that extent, even if it's just one punch, one hit, one uh, slap, children still remember those moments because it's, mm -hmm. it's the person that uh, it's supposed to protect you, provide for you, support you, love you, is now in, in a war with you, in a sense. So depending on the age, that could be a very scary moment because now you're really, you're really uh, alone fighting a war against somebody who's physically stronger than you. And there's no one else. You could some some kids go to their grandparents and sh and share the fear with them, but sometimes there's no no one else. So submitting to that physical punishment is a form of identity crisis at a very early age. Like who am I? Why am I so bad? And and it leads to I think it leads to orphan mindset. So so who are who are my actual uh, parents, what do I need to do so I can stop getting beat up? What do I need to do so I could be good in their mind? I tried everything, I'm not good, and this is this is so difficult. You know, being able to manage to manage when do you cross the line? Sometimes it could be one punch, but you can knock people out with one punch. You know, uh, yeah. You know when when does it become an abuse? And I don't think there is any clear definition of that. Um, let's talk about let's talk, and, and I think with the years, this this was way more welcome when you were growing up than today. Today is more of a difficult mm -hmm. topic. Back then, yeah. uh, parents were sharing at church how they whipped their kid, and it wasn't anything to be worried about. It's not like child services is going to knock on your door, but now it's very possible that they will. Like mm -hmm. if I see, I saw a, a parent, uh, a father beating his daughter and his daughter was so beautiful and so gentle and so so tiny and he was beating her with closed fist at the airport and i i i yeah. broke that fight i stopped i said dude mm -hmm. I, will, I will punch you if you don't stop beating your kid and he got yeah. offended my kid i'm gonna do whatever i want with mike well you're not gonna do it on my watch so it was uh it's disturbing sometimes and who knows what happens behind closed doors you know yeah so how do parents justify? And it seems like what you're saying is when they go past that point where it's not necessary anymore, when they made their point across and they keep going, maybe that's more of an anger problem with with the person. So, right. so when, yeah. is person, when is person healthy for the child? By, mm -hmm. by Is there a definition of how much, how often, at what occasions do you spank and... I mean, imagine if God does the same thing. Because as adults, we're not obedient most of the time. We're mm -hmm. we're constantly disobedient. If if God just gives us a little beat down here and there, appropriately, you know, little punch in the gut here and there. If if we're we're not obedient several times a day, you know, and 
if he's using the same approach as parenting the ultimate father then we wouldn't like it at all as adults because there's always someone physically stronger who could be authority over you so we do that for our children and you know i've met those people who say hey because i was spanked as a as a kid now i learned to respect authority and learn to respect others and learn to do that so a lot of people would, would pull positive things out of spanking uh it's not always negative but i just don't know what is the what is the golden perfect sweet spot yeah um, way you define it well again um and you mentioned something um a parent should never like ball up a fist i mean that using fist or punching that no i would say that is definitely excessive and abuse at that standpoint again i think it's just for me it's like i said a, a pop on the hand hey you know hey you know this is what i need you to do or you keep doing this and that's not right you know if they're being mean or you know if the child is doing something that clearly they should not be doing you know pop on the hand a pop on the butt just to get their attention but again if it goes more and when i say a pop you know i'm i'm talking like you know a pop something on that's the butt. not something that's not causing pain or scar or something that just right. hey I'm the parent here. I can I can go further than that. I choose not to, but don't yeah. forget that that this all right, I like that. That's that's yeah. good. You now know. my my real dad, one thing that he would do, um, because I don't remember him ever uh whipping me, he had a rule, he would count. And if he got to three and I was still doing whatever it was that he told me not to do, he would say one. And if I kept pushing it and I got to two, and it's like he would say, okay, you've got one more number to go. And if he got to that number, then at that point, you know, he would assert that, you know, parental authority. Uh, but I, I don't ever remember my dad, my real yeah. dad, uh, whipping me as a kid, but I think it was that one, two, three, you know, and when he got to two, he'd be, he'd give you that warning. Hey, you know, you're, you're pushing the exact, it. The exact approach I used with my daughter growing up mm -hmm. and they uh, thought her that at preschool, which I'm, I'll be forever grateful. It wasn't my idea, but the, the teacher at preschool told me, Hey, we have this one, two, three rule. You can feel free to use it at home and it's been it's been amazing i mean sometimes i gotta go two and a half 2.75 2.9 you know but it does work so let's go back to to the doubt the criticism the mental abuse because in my opinion they're both equally strong and sometimes the mental abuse could be even stronger because mm -hmm. the physical scars go away you know we grow up and it's not a big deal but but some of those words uh, become our belief systems and now everything that we learn about life everything that we face in life is filtered through that belief system of who we are and we qualify or disqualify ourselves based on that belief system so what are some of the things that you were told as a child that you would never be able to do or become 
and you have already proven them wrong. So, of course, like I said, you know, my stepdad, he would always say, you know, what are you thinking? You know, you didn't do that right. You didn't think before you did that. Um, but also, it was the bullying from school. So it was, you know, getting the, the negative criticism from home, but also getting uh, the bullying from school that was you know, they would, were making fun of me, uh, you know, about my appearance. And so coupled with, with both fronts, it really did a number on self-confidence and self-esteem. And from, from all of that, the, the bullying at school, it, it left me with, with no self-esteem, no self-confidence. And I uh, loathed my appearance in the mirror because they would make fun of, you know, being a late bloomer as a female, you know, my ears, my nose, my last name, uh, you know, started hating everything. And uh, coupled with the you don't think from home, you'll never do anything right. When I looked in the mirror, I saw a helpless pathetic, ugly girl. And I hated that reflection in the mirror. And um, so all of that left up into maybe, maybe 10 years ago, I started thinking a little bit differently about my looks. But honestly, I would have to say probably four or five years ago is when I was able to move past that hatred of the reflection in the mirror from everything, but all of that compounded daily because it was from both fronts and not really having, really feeling like I was ever supported um, or loved, you know, how I needed to be loved back then. And it lasted for, for so long. Um, yeah just all of those feelings, just negative feelings. And I eventually became the bully from just the negative mindset, uh, a victim, of course, mentality, because I never felt I could do anything right. It always felt like, you know, everybody was beating up on me just from all of those experiences. Yeah. I'm so sorry you, you really had to go through this. And and I can definitely relate to some of the things that you've went through. Um, it becomes dangerous when the accusations and the criticism gets justified from a third party, from people at school then it becomes reality for us, even though it's not real. And and that's the essence and the foundation of shame. Shame is, is not like guilt. Guilt is something that we do consciously, and then we have regrets afterwards. But shame, many times, not many times, all the time, shame is something we've never done. Shame is something that we're, we're not faulty of, but someone else told us the lie, and we give shame the same importance and the same attention as as guilt, as it is something that we've done. So uh, you have beautiful nose and beautiful ears, and you're a beautiful human, and you were lied to that you don't, and you believe the lie, which is the essence of shame. And sometimes shame 
is is harder to get rid of than guilt. But what I know for a fact is that putting light on shame is the main access and the main the main opportunity to to heal from it. So first of all, thank you for your bravery today to share this emotional uh, moments and, and and difficult moments of your life because you are helping. Uh, many viewers right now dealing with shame by bringing up your story and and making your story known and and we're very interested in finding out about the transformation and and how you turn things around but before we go there let's stay a little bit longer on 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 those struggles and those challenges and those adversities uh what were some of the worst things during the bullying process were you physically hurt or it was mostly mostly verbal abuse it was the the mental abuse just the the name calling uh just being picked on and of course you know kids are kids and kids make jokes and you know it, it's funny to them and they don't think anything about it but it really does leave the the person who is being called the names and you know, they thought it was funny to relate my last name, Arnold at the time, that's my maiden name, with an armadillo. And I mean, you can see those things and they, you know, they've got this hard shell and they just look ugly at first glance. And that's what I would see every time that I looked in the mirror. And so, you know, it was funny to them, but it wasn't to me. And so that really left a lot of mental scars for me and just the, the loathing, that reflection in the mirror. I never thought that I was beautiful growing up, you know, through, through those years. And, um, you know, a dream of mine in high school was to become a model. Uh, because I felt ugly. So, of course, you know, seeing all the, the beautiful women in the magazines, and I said, I want to be beautiful. Sorry. It's okay, Amy. You are beautiful. I would say I want to be beautiful like them because I never felt it. And that was my dream in high school uh, because I felt if I could do that, then... I would be beautiful because I had never felt it. My family didn't really support that. And uh, my boyfriend at the time did not support that. It was, why do you want to do that? Who are you trying to impress? When it was the, the self-healing, the self-love that I was looking for, um, it was for me. It was what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until like maybe two years ago that I had a revelation of, you know, I never went after that on my own because I felt like if the people who should support me don't, then why should I? And so I was stuck in that. And I'm sorry, I'm getting so upset. Don't worry. So upset. Don't worry. It's okay. When, when we are attacked and it's not justified we usually have two options only and one of the options is to fold in and surrender the other option is to fight and you had the urge 
to fight at that moment. You had the the signal to prove everyone wrong. And usually when we went, uh, like I'll give you an example in my situation. I, um, my, my mother was, and she still is a fashionista. So she was like always the latest. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a, a artist, Vanilla Ice. You remember Ice, Ice Baby? <laughs> And he yes, had, I remember a concert of his. <laughs> oh, you went to a concert? He had a special <laughs> hairstyle. And he, uh, I, I did the same hairstyle with my mother's permission. And I had like the uh, storms here, like the, the flash, and then mm -hmm. little bricks on this side. And I dyed my hair. And I came home and my dad says, you know, there are no faggots that live in this house. And, mm -hmm. and he had used that a couple of different times to call me that and i've never had any interest you know i'm brave enough to come out if that's the case i've done some self-awareness but the shame he created in me stayed with me for a very long time and during my teenage years and just growing up i was really fighting this by proving to everyone uh, on a much larger scale that in fact i'm not and led me to truth leads you to to go really big so the way i compare our situations because i became a womanizer i became a player started to dating different girls and uh, you wanted to go all the way to the top to shut up everybody by becoming a model and what are you going to say when you see me on the cover of vogue right what are you going to say when you see me on the podium and usually that's a sign of proving people wrong it's it's uh, it becomes an obsession that had led many great people, you know, the rejection, the denial, the, the bullying, the, uh, all the negative things lead many great people to, uh, to go way above and beyond to shut everybody up. But uh, if you didn't feel the support and then if you, if you gave up on that, then you can't really fall in something in between. You got to go to a victim mindset and a victim mindset overcomes that urge to fight back. Um, then you the struggle is is way way bigger uh i can just think of so many different examples like uh, uh barbara from uh, shark tank uh she was married she was a waitress in new jersey and she was married to uh, a realtor who uh, was a client at the diner and they became really powerful couple i don't know if you know her story and then he um started falling in love with with her assistant and he married her assistant and kind of kicked her out of the business and told her uh, the only reason why you were successful is me. You will never be successful and never make another dollar. So she made it a must to become the best realtor in New York and the best realtor in the country. And actually she sends him until today, every time when she gets paid, she sends him like an email with the money she gets paid to rub it in. And this, this drive becomes an unlimited source of energy which i've experienced that and i'm so grateful to god and and uh to somewhat support that i've gotten it wasn't from my family it was probably from friends and and somebody who had supported and given me hope to go and fight and prove them wrong it's a good uh energy it's not the best source of energy it's because it's more obsessive versus being passionate and being supported and being loved and encouraged but it does work i know that michael jordan has the same story i know that uh, 
many of the greats, Elon Musk, his father was very mentally abusive and he went all the way to the other side of the world, drove, uh, we know, went from South Africa to Canada and we all know who Elon Musk is today. And But it's obsessive uh, disorder to prove the person you love the most wrong and fight for their love. So the foundation is orphan mindset, which leads to other issues down the road in life because my orphan mindset led me to really transactional approach towards life. My biggest mission was to prove everybody wrong. And so it's not healthy, but it's better than being a victim mindset. It's the mm-hmm. it's the better option of, of the worst option. So for you, this is, you know, I just interviewed uh, Jeremiah Evans and his nickname is The Bull. And he was physically bullied at school and verbally and mentally challenged. And he had an opportunity when he went to his dad with his black eye and they were doing some nasty things to him. His dad told him, you know, leave my house and you're not coming back here until you go and you mess up one of those kids until you go and get revenge. And he went to the the main kid that was bullying him and he knocked on his door and kind of sucker punched him and, you know, uh, got him back. And, and he describes the walk back home as the, as the pivotal moment when he stopped being the victim and, and mm-hmm. he, he felt relieved and he felt, you know, weight over his shoulders and just that was the moment of transformation. Did you, did you get a chance for, for revenge or did you get a chance to prove those people wrong even though you didn't pursue your modeling career? By the way, it's never too late. Right now, it's a good time to start. We'll support yeah. you. You have a good circle of, of, of support. Um, if you decide to start modeling, I'm sure that uh, you, you'll get success today. And did you have a chance to, to... You mentioned that you became the bully. Talk about that. Was that your transition? Hurt people, hurt people. When did you become the bully? How did that work out? Was that your form of revenge? So I never took revenge on any one from school uh, because that was not in my nature to do because I had been on the receiving end and I knew what that felt like and I never wanted to to be the person doing that to anyone else but when I say I became the bully I became the bully to myself I took over with a negative mindset. And if something that I wanted to do that I was trying to do didn't work out, I'd be, I would tell myself, see, you never do anything right. You're never going to be able to do, you're never going to be able to do that. You know, what were you thinking? Uh, So I picked up and carried on everything that others used to tell me, I picked up that mantle and I mm. bullied myself with the, yes, the negative self-talk. And it, a lot of times it was worse than anything that the kids had ever told me. Yeah. And you've mentioned the physical and mental abuse. And you also mentioned that one of your adversities was a loss of a loved one at at what age did you lose a loved one and and what did that feel like uh 
the first real loss that I experienced was losing uh, my little brother when he was 12 years old. I was late 20s when I lost him. Um, and of course, I had lost a few other family members um, along the way, but I wasn't, of course, as close to them as my little brother. And part of the reason why it affected me so much is because my stepdad, he worked offshore. So he was typically gone two weeks, home two weeks. And when he was at work, you know, my mom typically was was gone working. She would bartend at the bars or she would go just to get away from the house and be there. So when we got off of the bus, it would just be me and my two brothers. So, you know, there are times when, you know, I would have to cook us dinner. I would have to help them with with their homework or just kind of step up and and be the mom to them when our mom was gone and so it felt like of course that i helped raise both of my brothers and of course his age him being so young and i know you know even people younger than 12 pass away all the time but for me it just really didn't make any sense. And, you know, I was a believer, but I had never fully accepted Christ. You know, I grew up, my grandmother, she would take me to church and she is really the reason for my faith. So, you know, I knew about God. I knew that he would answer prayers and that he could heal people. And, um, but the day that my brother was in his accident. I was actually in Jackson uh, for class. And, um, you know, I remember getting that call. And after I'd finished taking a test, I walked outside and, and called the number back. And uh, it was the hospital in our town. And there were only two people that came to mind. And it was my grandmother and it was my little brother. And my uncle's girlfriend got on the phone and she said, Amy, I'm sorry, but there's been a really bad accident and Clay was involved and he has been life flighted to, uh, to Jackson, to the university hospital. And I just kind of lost it there. And um, one of the, one of my classmates, he drove me to the hospital and I went in and he was in the ER and they allowed me to, to go in. I was one of the first family members there. And so I, sorry. It's okay. I remember walking in and seeing him laying there on the hospital bed and his body just, kind of broken and, and bruised and I was holding his hand and just in a complete state of shock. And I never said anything to him. I never told him how much I loved him. And that was the last time that I feel like he would have 
heard me talk to him because he ended up passing away and I carried so much guilt and just so much shame and just hate at myself for for the longest time because I didn't say anything to him and of course just feeling you know I what had not been a really good sister to him you know I was a mean sister I didn't take him you know enough places with me or do enough for him but the biggest was never saying anything when he was in the ER and that really did haunt me for a long time but I was also very angry with God mm. because I felt like he didn't he didn't answer our prayers and I just I didn't understand it I'm like God you know your word says you answer prayers you bring healing you are a great position and you didn't do it and just kind of hating on God because he didn't live up to what we hear and what we know about him and uh, it just led to a very dark time and uh, filled with depression um, and again just a lot of that negative mindset that I had had for for so long just intensified because of the grief and not having the tools to to deal with grief and my family not having the tools to to deal with grief and everybody is hurting at their own pace they're handling it in their own way um, of course filled with a lot of anger uh, bitterness resentment uh, just all of the things that grief brings to a person and the suicidal thoughts started just being caught up in all of that and um, and God is always a faithful God and he's a loving God and he knew what I was going through, what I was experiencing, what I was thinking. And he brought my brother to me in a dream. Mm. And it was so real. And I remember seeing him and just running to him and just giving him the biggest hug. And I didn't want to let go. And I kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you. I need you to know how much I love you. And I'm sorry for being, you know, a mean sister if I was mean. And I remember him hearing him say, I know you loved me and it's okay. You were not a mean sister. And he just stayed there in that moment and it seemed like forever and then i remember him saying i've got to go and it was like losing him all over again mm. but it was it was better because when i woke up the next morning like the, the amount of darkness that i had been in was not there anymore 
the amount of guilt and shame that I had felt was not there anymore because at least God had allowed me to have that moment to know that he knew that I loved him when I didn't feel that he did. But a lot of that was just my own negative thoughts and being caught up in being caught up in that bully mindset back then in the depression and the darkness. And I, I wish I could say that everything was, you know, bright and sunshiny after that. It wasn't because I was still dealing with the grief and, and his loss, but it just wasn't the same as it was before yeah. then. And it did help me to, to grow from that. But I still had that question to God, why? And that was the biggest question that I continued to ask. But the weekend after his funeral, me and my other brother, we fully accepted Christ and we were baptized the next weekend because we said we want to ensure that we get to see him again. Mm. And that that why continued for for years and i think god kind of finally got tired of me asking you know why did you take him because he was so young he still had his whole life ahead of him and god always works in in weird ways sometimes and i remember driving home one day and just out of the blue he told me the reason why he had to take him was to save others. And at first it, it kind of caught me off guard because it was just out of the blue. I had kind of stopped asking because I hadn't, you know, received the answer. But after that day, I got to thinking, I was like, you know, had he not passed away, I can't say for sure that me or my brother would have ever fully accepted Christ and been baptized. And I also think that my stepdad came into a better relationship with God after Clay passed away because I would see him, you know, reading the Bible or the Bible being on the coffee table when that wasn't really something that we used to see from him, you know, with the Bible or reading or knowing that he read it or him really going to church on his own without anyone else. And so that that helped me to to see that even in tragedy, God is still God. He can use that tragedy for good. It's not easy to see or understand that when you're going through those hard situations. And in this instance, it was years later before I really started to see positives in the negative or see positives in hurts or in trials or the difficult situations because he had finally given me that why that I had asked for for so long. And so I would say he gave me the answer 
but he also helped to plant the seed within my spirit to begin to grow from it. And today when the things are, are hard, um, it is taking the conscious step to be like, okay, this is how something is right now, but I know how God worked through this situation. So I will have hope in what I'm dealing with now that God will work it out and something positive, something joyful, something good or something better, or there will be something to come from this situation that will help not to hurt or it will lead you to a different path. It will bring you to a different place of healing and growth. Whereas if we didn't take the time to look for the positives in it, we may miss the opportunity to grow, whether it be mindset, uh, body, spiritually, and then even in your faith. And it kind of goes to a quote, we can either become the victim or the victor. And for me, I choose to become the victor instead of being the victim through everything that I've gone through. But it also helps you to be able to come alongside others who are dealing with things that you've gone through in life and to help share your experience, but also to love on other people who may not feel loved or who may not feel supported or who may not feel encouraged. So those are some of the biggest pieces from wow. that loss that I've been able to to come to, to understand and know. It seems like uh, you've moved into a very mature perspective now. And uh, this is happening in your mid-20s. And I know that uh, you've mentioned that you've been kind of stuck for almost 40 years, right, in this victim mindset. And you've accepted uh, Jesus as a... Um, as your savior and your lord at early age but you still had battles with why and how come and when did it click for you when did you change your perspective because i think that obviously we're very sad and I'm, i've been so fortunate i i haven't lost i have lost grandparents but i haven't lost a sibling or parent uh, I've lost some really good friends and we don't have control when we're going to go. And it seems to me when people, obviously it's sad. It's, it's the toughest thing to swallow when you lose a loved one. There's nothing more painful as far as emotion and experience in life than losing a loved one. I don't think there's anything more painful, but instead of asking why did this person die why are we still alive because we're in the process of dying and we could live until the day we die but we, we for some reason we think that we're safe and we could live millions of years when we ask those questions and when we 
guilt trip God? Like, why are you taking this? If we start asking the question, why am I still alive? You know, all these people are dying. All these people are struggling with, with different life-threatening situation. Why am I healthy today? Like, what is, you know, it's much easier to see this life as temporary life and believe in eternal life and prepare a character for eternity and and see it as the approach as, as as like a video game it's easy to die in a video game but here you are you're still alive you can go for round two you can try again so believing in eternity was that the click for you just understanding how god works and diving deeper into being more faithful when did the click happen for you so you received peace and you started to manage your self-sabotage and you turned your energy towards giving courage to others and and healing others can you share a little bit about the transformation when did it click for you so after after i received that why things did start to to click more you know we've We've gone on to lose nearly everyone in in my immediate family since my brother. And so every loss helped to know like what you stated that we're never, you know, we're never promised tomorrow. I think when God gave me that why it did start me more on more on the journey to to maybe learning God and why certain things may happen the way that they do, making the conscious choice to do that and walk from that place of victor instead of victim and being able to to share those experiences with others i think came more from from stepping into that place of self-awareness and just discovering more of seeing how god worked and finding actually finding a faith-based therapist Mm -hmm. uh, to help process a lot of things and you know, I remember him walking me through an exercise and it kind of went to something that you that you stated uh, earlier about, you know, God doesn't give us beat downs. He addresses us in certain ways and it can feel like a beat down uh, when it's really not. He's just redirecting us. But I remember that day and he had me kind of go through and mentally picture, you know, me and like another version of me or two sisters and God being a father and God seeing one sister being mean to the other, saying mean and negative things about her and made me question, well, how do you think that made God feel? Because we are made in God's image. Mm-hmm. And if we're made in God's image, then we are all beautiful and uniquely and beautifully designed. And it really made me think of, you know, God would never 
to tell me I'm ugly. God would never tell me I didn't, you know, I didn't think or I'm stupid because I didn't get something right. He would never talk to us the way that we talk to ourselves. So how do you think that makes him feel when we do it? Um, If we are made in his image. And after, after that moment, it, it did help me start to start to see just how bad negative self-talk can be and how powerful. I think the biggest thing was how powerful our words are because there is either life or death in the tongue. And we hear, you know, it's a two-edged sword and our words have power. We can either bless or we can curse and God would prefer us to bless rather than than curse because we are made in his image. And I think it's, again, just being mindful of that when when negative doubts come, when people treat us wrong, or even if, you know, we have a lapse and we we do something wrong. But for for me personally, it's realizing everything that that I've gone through and knowing how it felt to feel alone, knowing how it felt to feel like you were an outcast, how it felt to, you know, to, to be the ugly duckling and never feeling uh, very loved or supported. And so that's when it kind of became a, I don't want others to, to feel that way or to think that way. And so I will show them love. I will, you know, help encourage them. I will support them. I will offer prayers and walk alongside them with whatever that they are going through because that's what we should do because that's what God does for us. And if we are made in his image, then we should do the same thing. Yeah. I love that uh, you've changed your perspective and obviously you're giving full credit to God and, um, and your walk with God. What are some practical tips that you could give our audience? I know that you have a very creative way of uh, bringing people in a state of serenity and state of peace and uh, through art, which is so beautiful. And what are some of the practical exercises, some of the things that helped you uh, in your transformation and transition from a victim to victor, and how dangerous victim mindset really is, and what do you want to share with with the people who are still in that in that place of self sabotage and blaming uh, God and every everybody else, and really complaining about what happened to them, and 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 finding excuses for for not becoming the victor because it's really a place where we we get stuck and 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 when people are stuck they need they need a branch they need someone to give them a hand Uh, and sometimes they're the only ones that have the key to the cage they've locked themselves in so how do you make the transition because some people are like all right i'm in this situation right now i beat myself up because because my parents or my spouse or my best friends did it for many years and I, I i destroy myself how do i become the victor what what are some practical things 
if those people don't have God yet, what are some practical things they could do that are logical and would get them away from that state of victim? What, what do you suggest? I would say one of the, the most important, important things that I've learned along my journey is that it goes to the tools that that person was given. It's understanding that the way they were treated may not have had anything to do with them or what they did, but had everything to do with the other person. It's knowing that people, people it, it's a learned behavior, so to speak. So like my step, uh, use my stepdad, because I think that's one of the, the biggest areas that I've come to understand is that he, he did what he knew to do, right or wrong, that's what he knew. He didn't know any better. And it goes to, to that phrase that we hear, we don't know what we don't know. Yes. And to step from victim to victor is realizing that it's for me to understand along the way that kids in school tend to reenact or carry themselves or do what they see at home. Maybe they are bullied at home, so they go to school and they become the bully because that's what they know. They talk to other people negatively because that's what they know. That's what they saw. And people may have heard that nobody is coming to save you. Nobody can change you but yourself. And again, it goes to taking the conscious choice of, and maybe to rephrase that a better to something else that I know people hear a lot, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And for me, I believe my true journey to a deeper, more mature self-awareness came when in 2021, I went through another season of rejection and feeling that I was never going to be able to, to get where I wanted to be and being sick and tired of falling into the hamster wheel of the negative self-talk, yeah. the bullying, starting to journal my thoughts, which were to help me accept myself and finally love myself. And that journey produced my first book and it's taken the the conscious effort to know where you're at know where you want to be and getting tired of being stuck in that old state and pulling yourself out whether that's reaching out to you know someone that you trust someone that you love getting the help of a professional you know my therapist was very instrumental for me to see certain things and the reasons why i did certain things the reasons why maybe i was triggered in a certain way uh, but a lot of it was taken taking enough initiative to do for myself what I never felt possible before. 
and that was to love myself to finally see and believe what people said about me was true because I never said it to myself. People would say, you're beautiful, you're smart, you know, you do all these things so well, but never believing that, but taking the initiative to step into that and fully believe that helped so much, so much. Yeah. And You've mentioned a little bit about your stepdad. Uh, what part do you think forgiveness plays in this whole process? Because even when Jesus was on the cross and they, Pilates gave him, gave him a chance to pick between him or Barabbas, which was clearly a, a murderer and a, and a criminal, and it didn't make sense logically for them to pick Jesus. Just like it doesn't make sense for his stepfather to be an abuser. It doesn't just doesn't make logical sense. He's supposed to be replacing and be a better version of a father. He's, he's got a completely different role. So to the observer, this is illogical. This is out of line. But in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So it's like what you've mentioned about your stepdad and what part because a lot of times when we go through turmoil and hardship we think that the solution is going to be easy the solution is actually harder <laughs> we have to the the hardship is preparing us for grace which is the hardest thing to to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it someone who clearly does not deserve it and heal them and heal herself through this forgiveness so would you say forgiveness played a big part in your healing and your transformation from being a, a, a victim, from a victim to a victor? Obviously, you've mentioned we're made in God's image and you, you finally believed those positive words about yourself. Loving yourself is it's the hardest thing, especially after you've been your biggest enemy for so many years, abusing yourself. What part forgiveness play? And do you have to forgive yourself as well? for being so abusive so many years to yourself before you become that ray of light and a, and a victor? Was, was, the forgiving, was the process of forgiving a part of your transformation at all? Uh, it was. And when I moved out of my home uh, in, when I was 18, it was, um, it was not a very pleasant uh, leaving me and my stepdad actually did get into a physical altercation when I left. And so we we did not speak for months. But the funny thing, you know, when we are teenagers or young adults, we think that we know everything. And it took getting out on my own to start to realize, hey, he really did know what he was talking about for some things about life. And so we actually developed a really good relationship after mm. months of moving out. And there were many times when I would talk to him more than I talked to my mom when I would wow. call. But the biggest thing, forgiveness is not for the other person because chances are people may not even realize that they've hurt us and 
they've moved on, they're going about their life. But if you are still caught up and resenting them for certain things that they did, then what you in essence do, you allow bitterness, you allow anger, you allow hatred, any word that any negative word that you want to come up with, that's what you harbor in your heart when you do not forgive. So the forgiveness piece is not necessarily always for someone else. It is more for yourself to be able to heal and move past all of the hurt and things that happened. That way you allow your heart to be filled with love and light and goodness, kindness, all the, the good things that a person should be compassionate and empathetic. That's what you allow your heart to be filled with when you forgive, whether it's someone else or it's for self-forgiveness. Yeah. Which one is harder to forgive the person you have the most resentment towards or to forgive yourself? I would probably have to say self. Yeah, because you're always there and, and you're right. way worse than your worst abuser. <laughs> it doesn't right. stop. So uh, what are some practical things? And by the way, if you could be so kind, please uh, post in the comments links to your first book and to all the resources where people can get a hold of you and they could have a private conversation with you. What are some of the some of the things that you're doing as far as self-therapy? I know that you've mentioned something about art. Can you please talk to us a little bit more about that and, and share with us some of the some of the positive transformation you've experienced since healing and some of the testimonies that you've uh, seen with yourself and with others? Would you be so kind? Sure. So a lot of, I would say, again, the, the deepest part of my healing journey started in 2020. It was the first time that I invested in a coach and he is also my therapist. And that was the the start. Of course, 2020 was also the year of COVID lockdowns. I was in a new position at work for accounting, and it was very stressful given I'm not an accountant or a CPA. And when we were sent home, that was very new for me. And just the, the stress of everything with work, everything, of course, that was going on in the world with COVID, not knowing anything, and the stress and anxiety of everything started weighing on me. And after work started to numb out everything with alcohol. And there were nights when I would finish a whole bottle of wine by myself. And I had always told myself that I would never follow in the footsteps of becoming an alcoholic like my parents, just because of everything that I saw growing up and, of course, experiencing growing up. That was never a path that I wanted to follow down. And I remember one night I was at home 
and I just came across a, a YouTube channel for fluid art and it caught my attention because it was very abstract. It was new. I had never seen it before and I was just so mesmerized and I ended up probably watching an hour or more of just different videos of this artwork and this technique. And of course that bloomed and, and went from there. And so I had a little bit of paint from from different things. And I said, let me try this out and see, you know, how this this process works. And I remember sitting down and, and doing some and remembering saying, oh, wow, this is, seems a lot harder than it looks on the video. And that became my outlet because when I would pick up the paint or go into my spare bedroom to paint everything that I had had felt or experienced during the day, all of the the head trash, as I call it, just the negativity and uh, the stress and the worry and the anxiety, all of that went away when mm. I got to the desk to create something. And it started out just as, you know, something for me to do instead of picking up a bottle uh, at night after work. And because I knew I wasn't alone in stress of what was going on, I started to do Facebook live videos where I would just share, you know, my, my workspace and what I was creating just to help other people take their focus off of what was going on to fill their news feed with something different and something positive instead of, you know, paying attention to the news or paying attention to the negativity. And what I found was it was also very therapeutic mm. in a mental sense because it's like if you walk into a restaurant and it's very noisy, but maybe you step, you know, into the bathroom and it's quiet or you step outside and it, it's quiet. That is basically how it felt when I would get into create. It's like all of the voices and just everything that had happened that day. It was like the mute button had been turned on. It's like you're in and the zone. Yes. It's all of the focus. My thoughts were strictly on what I was doing. And mm. it led down, you know, that path of becoming my outlet, um, you know, my addiction, per se, instead of alcohol. Passion? Uh, passion? Yes, passion. Um, it, uh, it did become an addiction because I created so much, but it wasn't until, you know, someone said, hey, is this for sale, that it kind of made me think, wow, you know, this is, this is really good. People are connecting with what I've created to a point where, you know, they want to purchase that. But the biggest, I think the, the biggest thing that has come from my journey to accepting myself as an artist is just the benefits of creating and realizing the benefits of creating and being able to to pour out days emotions or 
every negative thing out onto a canvas by way of paint and creating this magical piece of work that embodies things that you are connected to or things that come out of what you create that help someone to to discover a way of meditating visually or being able to connect through messaging for becoming more spiritual or being able to connect with spirit. And it's being able to to really expand your mind. And I think that is something that I have noticed the most since embracing that creativity is how much more I can look at something and realize a different way of doing something. It lends to better creative thinking, better brainstorming. Uh, The visualization meditation is when you step away from whatever you're doing and you just look at a piece of artwork and you allow your mind to search what you're looking at, you can, it, you can open up your mind. Uh, you also get a raise of serotonin when you look at a piece of artwork. And of course, you know, that's the, the feel good hormone, the happy hormone. Um, and it's also basically the same as looking at a loved one. The, the benefits of art uh, just span so many different things, but it's very healing and therapeutic uh, to do. And I love being able to create a piece of artwork and someone just connect with it on some deep down level that bring them healing in maybe whatever it is that they just somehow they connect it with that piece in a certain way. Um, And I just really find that so amazing and uh, just thankful that God gave that talent and gifting uh, to me. Yeah. It seems like very interesting. I almost want to try it. Uh, I definitely do. I have my own in the zone therapy, and I think it's it's so critical for people to find that place where they could be solely focused on on something they truly enjoy for a longer period of time, one or two hours. Uh, because sometimes the abuse is all day long, the self negative self talk and self sabotage. Are there any practical tips that you could share? to stop the negative self-talk? Do you catch it early? Do you have some type of process that, that you follow if it, if it happens again? Or do you fight it by being proactively positive? Do you have like a ritual or a routine that you follow to protect yourself from yourself? And do you have some sort of boundaries to protect yourself from from being bullied again? Or can you can you share with us some practical tips on how do you enforce that positivity when you're not in that state of serenity and peace during the day? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, you can be positive, you can can change all you want, but that doesn't mean that, you know, those those thoughts do not ever pop in your mind, but it's being aware when they do pop mm-hmm. in your mind to reframe it and if something says, oh, well, you'll never be able to do that, you could quickly reframe and, and say, you know what? I published a book. It became a bestseller on Amazon or, you know, I wrote a second book or, you know, someone else could say, while I may not feel like I do very, very well, oh, look, I just got a promotion at work from, you know, everything that I've done, all of the the steps that I've done to step up as a leader. You can learn to reframe when the negative thoughts come. Quickly look at things that you have accomplished. It's being mindful of the things you've accomplished. It's being grateful. You know, within our circle, gratitude is, is a big thing. And so just reminding yourself of, you know, a couple things every day that you are grateful for in your life, whether it be, you know, a physical thing or a spiritual aspect, you know, people, things that have happened that you're grateful for receiving. And again, when the negativity comes, it's remembering all of that. So you can reframe of saying, hey, I am smart. You know, I went to school and I, this is what I accomplished. And, you know, now I'm a very successful businessman or, you know, I went to school. I didn't think I was going to be able to become a nurse. And now look at me, I'm an RN or I'm a nurse practitioner. You know, it could be teacher. I am helping to instill in young children a good, solid education, or I am training my child up in the way that they should go. I am being the spiritual leader of my household. That way, you know, my family can be covered in that spiritual protection. You know, I pray for other people uh, when they need prayer. All of these things can help redirect when the negativity comes. And sometimes, you know, it may take, you know, a couple minutes. You may just have a really bad off day. But again, it's just making the conscious choice to to choose your words and to choose your thoughts differently and knowing that some days it's okay not to be okay. You know, I told a friend of mine recently that not every day is going to start or end with fireworks because I mean, let's just face it. Not every day is, you know, filled with rainbows, but it's knowing that we can make a rainbow if we want to, we can choose positivity instead of negativity, but it's that conscious mindset to do so. Those are very, very, very helpful. So from what I'm getting at is you are challenging the lies uh, with facts. So is it, mm-hmm. would you recommend for us to maybe have a book, like a gratitude book, where we write down all those facts, all those wins, all those things that are substantial and challenge the lies with those things when we run into imposter syndrome or self-sabotage? 
So yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Not to cut you off, but I just I just feel so empowered by that because yeah. that was part of the journey along the way that really helped me to believe in myself because Mm -hmm. I never gave myself credit for the things that I did because I didn't feel I was worthy of doing good things. But it was once I started the, the gratitudes and being grateful, you attract more things to be grateful for. And when you keep track of your wins in a book or, you know, on a sticky note in your phone or you know, whatever method that you want to keep track of that on those negative days, you could go back to that and be like, oh, this is what I accomplished. Oh, I remember, you know, accomplishing that. Oh, it really does take away from that negative thought that I had today or yesterday because I have accomplished these things and it it really does help you to overcome. Can you share with us, this is going to be one of those deep questions, so sit down. (laughs) (laughs) If you have the opportunity right now to go back to a certain moment in your life and you have the ability to edit what happens in that moment, whether you edit your actions or somebody else's actions, or you could choose not to edit anything, but just to relive that moment again. Is there a moment good or bad in your past that you would like to go and edit or relive just to to be an observer again with today's version of you? Oh gosh, Belko. <laughs> there are so many days that I have sat and thought about things that I would like to go back and change, things to go back and experience again. Which one is the most significant? But, well, here's the thing. Everything that we go through make us who we are today. And I think that while I would love to go back and change certain things, um, part of me wonders who I would be today. Would I have found the healing? Would I have stepped into uh, the self-awareness that I have today if any certain pieces or parts were changed? But if I had to, to choose one thing, it would probably be when my brother was in the ER just to tell him that I loved him. Not necessarily that it would have made anything different then, but just to verbally speak it out, whether he would have heard it or not. He did in the spiritual realm. Yeah. And we are spiritual beings having this human experience. If you believe that, and believe that he definitely knows that you love him and you still love him. And I really appreciate everything that you shared with us. It's been it's been such a difficult journey. I, I, I feel nothing but admirations and kudos for, for what you've gone through and surviving and, and now transforming your life and transforming others' life. And and I know that you'll be instrumental in in millions and millions of people's lives. If you continue your journey of of self-healing and and healing others through is such a unique way of of therapy. 
in closing, what are some positive uh, things? What is some good hope that you would want to give people who are watching right now and they are in uh, in a terrible place of victim victimhood and terrible place of self-sabotage and depression and guilt and shame? What are some words of hope that you could give them? Words of hope would be to hang on, to find someone that you love and trust and share with them what you've gone through. And it may be difficult. And if you are in a place where you do not feel like you can talk to someone else, take a notebook and start journaling everything. Just get everything out that um, you feel deep down inside just to get that weight off of your shoulders. If you do have someone that you feel comfortable in sharing, share your message, share whatever it is that you feel you need to get off of your heart and get out because that in itself can start a healing journey and it's not going to be pleasant it's you know again it's not going to be an instant shift but when you start to share your story you will find hope and encouragement because you are being brave and courageous to share what you've gone through but when you share your story you encourage someone else to share their story yes and it's a ripple effect because your your mess becomes your message your test becomes your testimony and when you share all of that again you are helping to encourage someone else that they are not alone that there are others who have gone through or felt the same things the journeys may look different but at the core it is all hurt at yeah. the core of what we go through but when we allow others to come alongside of us it just helps to build ourselves up it encourages us and strengthens us to continue to share our messages and find strength in sharing the message it brings hope to our hearts because we were able to share that. But I think it also allows uh, an opportunity for God to come alongside of us and strengthen us and walk with us and provide comfort from that pain and to build our faith more and start a true healing journey. Yes. Amy, uh, we felt the pain, at least I did, and I'm sure that some of the viewers did. And we we are so fortunate to be in your presence as a, as a victor, as somebody on the other side of this. And uh, we know that the healing is difficult, but we're so thankful and we appreciate so much that you, you're putting yourself out there to share your story, to put light on all of the abuse that you went through and we just want to thank you so much for your time and for being brave to come out and, and heal others 
by sharing your message. And uh, we'd love to get to know you more. Please share with us where can people find you? Obviously, you're a member of this group and you could be easily found here. I know that you want to help us with providing some content on this topic and just on self-love and, and healing from self-sabotage and imposter syndrome and negative self-talk. So we're looking forward to seeing your posts. Uh, but how can people connect with you personally and follow you um, on a personal level? Uh, they can find me on Facebook and Instagram uh, by Amy Hesper. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, if anybody wants to connect, they can follow me there. Or if they want to have a personal connection or a personal conversation, uh, they are welcome to send me a DM. I will be more than happy to help anyone in any shape or form that I can. We love you so much and you're beautiful and we're looking forward to see you modeling uh, soon. So don't give up on that dream yet. It's not over yet. We're looking to see yeah. some prof professional shots soon uh, and we'll support you in that direction as well. And we're very interested in seeing your art. You've mentioned that you uh, have created a ton of art. Where can we see a gallery of, of all the things you're talking about? I do have a website. It's reflectionsbyhesper.com. I do have things there. I've shared, of course, uh, artwork on my Instagram page and then my personal Facebook page. I tend to share a lot of my work as well. Reflectionsbyhesper.com. Mm -hmm. Does it look like this? Yes. Good. So go to the website to check out Amy's art. And uh, Amy, thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything that we didn't cover, anything that you would like to share with our viewers as uh, our last words today? Um, well, we went pretty deep today. Uh, was not really expecting to, to go quite that deep. But to go back to the modeling, I did... Uh, do some amateur modeling for local <laughs> photographers. You want to see something? Um, <laughs> yes. So I did do that and got to experience that dream while it wasn't like on a national level. It was a step in that direction to make me feel like I had fulfilled that dream. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I know there's going to be there's going to be more more and more moments of greatness that we're going to see in the future. So, thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank, thank you for having me, Vilko. It was a pleasure.